Welcome to Theology in the Dirt, where we try to practice our theology at home and in the public square of our city and our world. Your hosts are Keith Thompson and Mitchell Jolly. Theology in the Dirt is produced by Chris Hayes, and the artwork is by Kayla Sanner. Good day. Welcome to Theology in the Dirt. Theology in the Dirt is where we attempt to practice our theology at home and the public square of our city and our world. I'm Mitchell Jolly. And I'm Keith Thompson. Thanks for listening, guys. We're glad you're here with us. So, Keith, to kick off our time with my poor theological reflection, okay, my question here. for you, is Atlanta sports cursed? Yeah, there's a, there's a, a demon. A demon over the city of Atlanta. <laughs> yes. It's called, um, yeah. when, things get, when things get tough, you choke. You just can't pull it through. It's the choking demon. Yeah, and, and the, the demon also allows you to win once all hope is lost. They let they let you begin winning again, like the Falcons did this yes, week. Yeah. Yes, I'm convinced the cost of the Falcons' one and five record, their one win, their dominant win Sunday, is everybody else has to lose. Yeah. My listen, man, this is terrible. My theology goes to pot when it comes to sports. Like it just like gets off the rails completely. Yeah. I'm convinced that um, because I try to love the Lord with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I appreciate sports. Uh, the en- the enemy wants to absolutely flog me <laughs> with losses, so he messes up everything in sports. To uh, oh, or man. or it's God teaching me I have idols. I, you know, I don't know. No, don't even think it's that. It can't be that. No <laughs> it way. Can, it can't cannot, be that. Cannot be that. Absolutely. Just how I don't I don't know how you have twenty eight to three, and then a three one series lead. And blow both of them. Yeah. I, no, I don't know how you lose demonic. three straight games when you can hit the ball like you do yeah. when you're the Braves. Yeah, absolutely. It's and you watch that stuff and you see like it's 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 juvenile. Some of the things, <laughs> base running blunders. Yeah. That's 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 middle school baseball 101. There's yeah. just some basic things, and I get they're trying to make stuff happen. Mm-hmm. I get it. But gosh, man. Yeah, it's difficult. It is, and yeah, some of it's just the Dodgers playing well. You know, yeah. I mean, they're they're, tough. we. You look at some of the some of those at bats in the later innings, and man, it's just like great pitch after great pitch after great pitch gets fouled off. Yeah, and then you finally, yeah, in ten pitches you make a mistake, right? <laughs> right. And he hits it, you know, four hundred right. fifty feet. I kept I kept saying they make our pitchers work. Oh, it was it was it was actually beautiful. Although I hated it, it was amazing to watch yeah. what they did in their at bats. They did a great job, and yeah. and we we couldn't find a find a way to make it work. Yeah. And then the Falcons come out and dominate. Where did that come from? And where has it been? Jeez, blowing my mind. You got me on that one. <laughs> I can't. I cannot understand the Falcons. Yeah. So is there a shot they they run the table and finish eleven and five? I think. That, I mean, they've got the people to do it. That's why you're such a head scratcher that they had lost so many games. Right. It's not like the Falcons don't have the people to pull what you just described off. They do. They do. They have. If it. they did it, no one would go. Would you know that right. that, that was impossible. No, they'd be going. Yeah, well, they finally learned how to work the folks that they've got. That's that. That's insane. That maybe one coach made all that difference. You know, right. I read uh, one of the defensive ends. Uh, oh shoot, guy that just brought from Los Angeles, uh, Dante Fowler, mm. said that they were very uncomfortable last week. Raheem Morris made them work and made them very uncomfortable. They they only got one shot to get a play right. Often they would rerun things. So they got it right, and he said, "You get one shot. If you only get one shot in the game, you better get it right." Yeah. And he said they were very uncomfortable during the week, and he said that made them practice better. And I think it showed in the game, which 
I'm thinking, if that's all it took, why, why didn't they figure that out? Yeah, I, I'm convinced that um, once you even once you get to the D1 level in college, that the players are all great. Yeah. It really is at that point the winners have a different – they've got a different mental approach to the game, and they've got a, a different mental capacity. And uh, you look at a, a, a University of Alabama right. that shows up and they're four deep in the depth chart. Right. And the guy who rises to the starting position is the guy who's a mental giant. Yes. He can focus for the entire game. Yep. And whatever it is that causes you to make a mistake, he, he, he can put it aside. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, I, I really think that's it. There's there's something about how you handle practices and that kind of thing. It is. Anyway, Absolutely. that's a whole different story. Well, this is not a sports podcast. No, but sorry. It easily could be, yeah. <laughs> which is a lot of fun. It's theology in the dirt, so I want to practice our theology uh, at home and in the public square of our city and our world. And so in this hot button political season, Keith, um, we're seeing all manner of discussion. You see it in social media, you see it on the news sources. Um, how do we as Christians come at the political issues of our day and consider specifically what the Christian position is? Um, just a big, I want to give a shout out to David Platt and his little book, Before You Vote, um, Seven Questions Every Christian Should Ask. We're really kind of diving into that question he mm-hmm. asked and sort of unpacking uh, the Christian position. And so I would recommend anybody listening to this, you can go um, to uh, the inter- interwebs and type in David Platt before you vote, and you can find that book and get it there very easily. And I think it would be a great investment. So, how do we, Keith, consider the Christian position um, before we vote? We have to come at this. So so what do you think we've got to do to come at this? Yeah, we have to come at it from the Scriptures, first of all. That's, right. the, that's the primary thing. It almost goes without saying. I don't want to downplay that, but we say that enough here. I think everyone who's listened to us much right. would know the answer is you gotta, you got to find your answers in the Scriptures. And um, there's, there's no part of human life. No, no tiny little bit of our life that the, that the scriptures don't speak to. Right. So there, there's no part of the, the in the political season we, we are able to say, well, don't bring the Bible into this kind of thing. Now, the Bible, a biblical worldview is critical in arriving at the right answer to um, to the to the answer of what is the Christian position. Right. And so um, that's. That's the fundamental thing. Yeah, absolutely. We, we we say this all the time, and I think if anybody ever carries any anything away from theology in the dirt is you need to know your Bible mm-hmm. as a Christian. Um, don't take it for granted. I'm continually amazed at the number of people who've been Christians for more than one year who've never read it through once. Mm-hmm. Blows my mind, right? And so, so if we're talking about a Christian position, we've got to first ask this question. According to Scripture, what is a Christian? What's a Christian, Keith? Wow. <laughs> if it's a Christian position. I like that. What is I like that. Yeah. a Christian? A Christian, per- a Christian is a person who has recognized that they're separated from God and that we're spiritually dead, literally spiritually dead. So they're, uh, a person has to get to the point where they realize my mind in its fallen state isn't capable of understanding the world. Right. Um, it's not capable of making wise decisions. Um, it's not capable of following God well enough to please Him. So we have to recognize that Christ came. He lived a perfect life, and we've got to we've got to um, uh, find ourselves in Him so that we can be raised from death to life. 
So a Christian is a person who's completely given their life over to Christ. They've acknowledged that faith in Christ is the only way that we can get reconnected with God. And that reconnection with God is life. Uh, remain in a state of separation from God is death. Um, and in, in the standing where we have life in God through Christ, we're able to understand the world rightly to the degree that we can on this side of heaven. Yeah. So the Christian person has placed their faith in Christ. They are leaning on Christ and leaning on the Holy Spirit um, because of the work Christ did at the cross to help us understand the world as it is versus as it might appear to the fallen mind. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a fantastic definition of what a Christian is. So there's a problem, there's bad news, there's the good news Mm. of what God has done for us in Christ, and He has repaired that through repentance and faith and is repairing that Mm -hmm. and will one day completely repair that. Um, and, and then this effort to follow Jesus and make sense of our world according to how he sees it. Right. And so that, that, I think that's a fantastic place to start. So we know what a Christian is. Yeah. Right. We've said that those Christians already, we, we started really in the middle with saying we need our Bibles. We've mm-hmm. got to make sense of Scripture as Christians. We're following Jesus. And the only way to do that is to know what he has said. Right. Like in the Great Commission, the Lord said to teach them to observe everything I've commanded them. Mm -hmm. So that's written for us. And so then we have to come to this. How do we determine a position as Christian? So we've talked about a Christian position, but now we flip those words and we've said, how do we determine a position to be Christian? So how do we come at that on things like guns, taxes, foreign policy, health care? How do we determine if, if any of those positions have a Christian bent in them? The frustrating thing about these conversations is that there are so many things that are meaningful. That we're not talking about issues that don't really matter. We're talking about issues that have massive implications that the Bible doesn't directly speak to. Right? Right. Um, there are things that the Bible says is clearly wrong, and you just they're out of bounds. Right. They're, they're what we have talked to in this podcast before, first-tier issues, where if you don't believe this, you're lost and you're... You're, you're, it's hopeless for you. Um, you're never going to go to heaven. You're never going to be able to understand the world rightly, so on and so forth. Those are the first tier issues. But there is just a mountain right. of second and third tier issues. There are, and those we have all we have talked about those often in light of what does it mean inside of the church. You know, a second tier issue like baptism. Right. right? No one's going to. You're not going to hear in this debate that's coming up uh, in the presidential debate in the U.S about baptism. No one's going to be talking about that. Right. But there are those second tier issues that are really church issues, third tier issues that are really church issues. Right. But there really are, there are second and third tier. There are first, second, and third, I believe there are first, second, and third tier issues surrounding how we're going to live together as human beings. Absolutely. Which really is what we mean by political issues. Right. For the good of the city, right? For the good of the city, right. How do we pursue the good of this city as best we can, even with people who don't share our worldview. Yes. We want our city, and God even said, pray for the city, right? He, he taught us to pray for the right. good and the benefit of the city because their good is our good. Yeah, we watched Joseph make wise decisions based on God's counsel and God's supernatural um, gifting in him to interpret dreams and things like that right. so that even people from Canaan could come down 
yeah. and flourish yeah. at a time when famine has disrupted the entire land. We watched Daniel do the same thing in Babylon. So right. the Bible's clear that this is what we're supposed to do. And we're the, the biblical worldview takes us from chaos and disorder and destruction toward um, order, uh, toward flourishing. Uh, we talk of you know, when Jesus blessed are those, the, the language could well be, could mean flourishing are those. Right. So the Bible is not telling us that if you're Christian, you're going to be wealthy, uh, you know, healthy, and everything's going to go great for you. But I do believe the general pattern is the Christian worldview leads toward more human flourishing Right. Than the non-Christian worldview or the Absolutely. you know any other worldview. Yeah. So these these issues are super important, but what is the position? The Bible's not always super clear. That's right, and I think it's important what you just said. As Christians, we want to highlight the fact that we believe what the Bible teaches is better for our city than what others teach. Yeah. That that's that's how we function in the public square. That's how you how you have a decent debate. Is you may think different. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Like I, for instance, I just I'm jumping the weeds here with the issue of guns. Like you know, in my house, the mm-hmm. Jolly Boys, we we love we love weapons, and mm-hmm. I have people theologically I run with and a family I run with who sometimes think it's borderline appalling at our use of mm-hmm. having and the fact that I actually conceal and carry yeah. on a daily basis. I carry. Like Glock 19 on a daily basis. And they, I just don't understand how you can do that. And I turn around and I, and I look at, at and, and this is where I can be critiqued. And here's my point. Yeah. Is, is I can go to the nth degree and try to use scripture as a justification for doing that. Well, David carried a sword. Mm. Well, he didn't have a gun. And if he did, he probably would carry a Glock 19 because it's the best gun <laughs> it's on the, the face of the planet. <laughs> right? It's the best weapon on the face of the planet. And, and then... And then that person might turn and go, that's a total abuse of the scriptures, Jolly. That's Old Testament, Jolly. That's Old Testament. Or how can you how can you justify mm-hmm. that? And so it's easy for me to take something I'm passionate about and justify it with a scripture mm-hmm. that I may be misusing. Yeah. And so it's a second, probably third tier issue. Right. But in fact, I, I think it's probably, I mean, man, I can be critiqued here. It's probably good for the security of a city if well-meaning well-trained people are able to provide help and mm-hmm. alleviation of a situation if they're wisely employing yeah. carrying weapons. Well, I mean, that that conversation gets into something that's very timely right now. I mean, is it even okay to have a weapon right. when it comes to law enforcement? Like the, the presence of weapons, are they a problem in right. law enforcement? Right. Well, um, Great Britain, they think they are. Right. That's right. And yeah, I mean, they're not the only place, right? That's right. So it's not just completely ridiculous to, to propose that this might work. Um, you know, it's not just a complete crazy idea that that might work. But I mean, that's very, it's a very practical thing. And I believe the scriptures do deal with that. Right. And, and so here's the, here's the other thing, Mitch, is that I think the only way you can deal with this, because everything's not super clear, right? you have to move from clear to not so clear. That's right? right. So we have to go, okay, well... What can we can we at least agree on the things that are clear, right? And can we can we then move from that to the things that aren't so clear? And that's when 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 you begin to do that from a political sense, it can right out of the gate begin to sound like you you've made your decision, right? Are you Republican or are you Democrat, right? Right? Are you are you in the middle? But when you start, okay, what what is what do we know in the in the all the issues that are on the um. That are on the platform for the for the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. Right. I mean, this is a podcast about 
political season. So let's go ahead and dive in. Right. There's the there's the Republican side. There's the Democratic side. They've laid out clearly how they feel about all these issues. Right. And they are very different. Yeah. There's not a lot in common. Right. And the moment you start going, okay, what are the non-negotiables? Well, there's there's one party that is going to get that right, I think. Right. And one party that's going to get that wrong. But here's the big question. Right. In my personal life, right. which one of those issues, negotiable or non-negotiable, are going to affect me the most? Right. 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 And when if, you know, if I'm if I'm one, if I I identify myself in one group, I might go, well, that, you know, this area over here is the thing that affects me the most. Right. So you can't expect me to show up and vote and not acknowledge that. Right. Whereas the other group may go, well, that I don't feel like that affects me much. Right. It's not first tier. Right. But. So that's where it is. So there, there's the things that are non-negotiable, but then there are the things that, what about me and my people? Yeah. And and, and I'm not necessarily talking about race. I'm talking about all sorts of things. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It, the, it's like a Venn diagram. There are lots of things that overlap here. What yes. About, what about my fellow business owners? Right. Not everybody's a business that's owner. That's right. But there are things in taxation that affect business owners yes. that does trickle down to other people that yeah. might not be business owners. Or someone whose health, you know, we, right. I know, you know, I'm a healthcare person. I know a bunch of people whose health is failing. And so this person over here who's, you know, 25 and healthy, health, you know, healthcare may not be a big issue for them or pre-existing conditions might not be a big issue for them. So it, it it's like, these are the big ticket items. But even if you put those there and we can all agree on that, it's like, okay, well, what do I do now on these other items that affect me so much? On day one, after an election, that wouldn't necessarily. And can those, can those, I, y'all forgive me if I use the word Trump. It's like always been a part of my. It's it's always yeah. been a part of my conversation. From a game of Rook. I right. grew up playing Trump Rook cards. and your Trump cards, and so I yeah. say Trump, and yeah. people think, and, I, and now I'm like, I feel bad about you. That's right. Word. <laughs> so so you know, are there are yeah. there issues that trump other issues, or they're right. more important than other issues, even though they're they're really second, third tier issues, and that for me is where the rubber meets the road when right. I'm having political conversations. Does it matter who becomes president of the United States and gains control of the Senate and gains control of the House? I am a passionate yes on that. Right. A passionate yes. It affects the everyday lives of Christians and it affects the gospel moving forward. And, you know, I don't want to, there's so much to be said. I don't don't want to lose this thing about, well, what about the sovereignty of God? Right. Right. We don't have to worry about any of that. Right. Because you can't fool God's plan. Right. Thompson, you're getting too worked up because God's right. in charge and it's all going to work out. So just settle down. Right. Well, kind of. Kind of. Kind of. Yeah. Not, right. Not really. We have a responsibility here. Yeah. There are. God uses means. Right. And some of those means are us sitting still and waiting on the Lord. And then some of those means are it's time to act. Yes. And 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 I think when we go back to what is a Christian... That comes into play in the exercise of wisdom and and listening to the Lord. If we have the Holy Spirit, we have to learn to obey because mm. there is a time to obey and there's a time to not obey, mm-hmm. not the Lord, but our government. And so, And so this is where following Jesus as a Christian is important. There are times God may use the means of us going, no, it's time to stop. We're not doing that anymore. Yeah. And then there's times to go, okay, we can go along. Yeah. For a season, and that requires community, wisdom, 
yeah. God's Word, a right understanding of God's Word. Absolutely. So, yeah, God's sovereign, but God's not sovereign to the point of telling me to stay at home and do nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you could argue, I think you could successfully argue that it was the church's lack of involvement in, you know, scare quote, political issues in the in the 50s and 60s and 70s along the lines of divorce. Right. And when can you divorce? Uh, along the lines of birth control. What is birth control going to look like? And why is birth control okay? And what forms of birth control are going to be okay? And who has access to it? Right. Right up to when does life begin? And, and what, what are we going to allow people to do with uh, a fetus or a, or a baby and that kind of thing? Right. The church sort of stayed out of that. Right. And, and let, you know, let the politicians deal with it. Right. And now we live in a world where that has like immediate Impact, impact on us. I think uh, as you're saying that, I'm, I'm, I go back in church history, and I think particularly for us, we are in a Protestant evangelical tradition, mm. and that's how we see the church. And I instantly start thinking back of some of the things we lost in the Reformation. As much as we gained, mm. and hear me, yeah. I'm Protestant, clearly Protestant, <laughs> right. I'm not Catholic. <laughs> there are benefits to the church having successfully propagated the gospel for a long time. Yeah. Engaging society that has clear teaching on how we engage in the public square. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I just want to give props to my fellow Catholic friends, they have some pretty clear teaching on how you engage. They some systemic ways in which right. this is what we think about life. And if you don't view life like this, we withhold communion from you. Yeah. Presidential candidate. Right. If you don't view this issue like this, you don't get communion. Yeah. Senate candidate. And and I, I, I kind yeah, of you, admire that. You don't right? get to say you're Catholic right. and do whatever you want. That's right. And I think that's something we lost mm-hmm. in our traditions is we did do what you just said. And now we don't have a sense of, well, what is it that mm-hmm. an evangelical Protestant is supposed to do in this? And how do yeah. we enforce that? Right. right. Yeah, you can say you're Protestant, and believe almost anything <laughs> right. nowadays. Well, we got two. We, yeah, we got we got some on the stage that'll debate that say they're one or the other, and will just about break any and every exactly there for us. And you're going, what in the world? Yeah, it's basically, it means nothing at that yeah, point. Right. You know? That's right. That's right. And so, and so, when we come to these issues, guns, taxes, healthcare, foreign policy. Um, we may find ourselves in a place of not being able to put the title Christian on that. Yeah. But definitely being able to say, as a Christian, here are some things to think about. So that makes me think of the branch of theology called theonomy. Um, the study, basically, of the law of God and the law of God applied to our world. Yeah. Right? Such as um, we live in a industrial society, Mm -hmm. not an agricultural society. So when the law tells us don't glean all the way up to the edge of your field, Mm -hmm. leave that for the the sojourner, the foreigner, and the poor among you to go and have the dignity of work and the ability to eat and live Mm -hmm. and thrive. Well, we don't have fields. So what does it look like for us to to take the Old Testament where we have some pretty clear instructions on how to think about... um, how to think about economy? Yeah, right. How to think? How to think about providing economic relief for people who need it to value life? Well, we don't have that. We don't have fields. Jolly's not, Jolly doesn't have two forty on the back back there where he's <laughs> left all the grain on the outside for people to come and and work. So, so is there a way to come at 
some of these things, not abusing the Old Testament law, because then there's also some laws that talk about um, how we view execution of whether it be murder one, whether it be um, disobedient children, disobedient children. So do we just start murdering or murdering or executing our disobedient children? right? Right. So there's a discipline of applying. How do we as Christians Come out of position and not misapply the text yeah. of Scripture. You look at, you know, it establishes principles in the Old Testament. We see principles that, that are there. Right. And then we come over into the New Testament and we see that Jesus establishes things that are sometimes like outright, it, you know, it used to say this, but now I want you to look at it like this. There are times where he clearly says, it was like this, it's not like that anymore. You We're have look heard at, it said. You have heard it said, but I tell you right. that kind of that kind of language. So we know that some of that is going to completely change for us. We know that the, with the New Covenant... Um, and again, there's there's lots of debate inside, even inside the Protestant faith about how you're supposed to go about this. But right. I'm of the impression that the Old Testament's gone, New Testament's new. We're now under the law of Christ, not the law of Moses. And so everything that we say is a must as a believer, I believe, can be found in the New Testament right. with its roots firmly anchored yep. in the Old Testament. Okay? Right. So we look at something like uh, gleaning in the fields. The principle is there are going to be those among us because of because of sometimes things that they've done, sometimes things completely outside of their control. They're in a really disadvantaged position. They need a help to get their feet back under them. That's right. So those of you who are in a better position, either because you've worked really hard or because it's just been flat out given to you, you make a way for those people. Right. Take your excess, take from your excess, and make sure that you choose to make sure that they have access to what they need because you've got it. Right. Um, the question comes in, who decides how much of that you do? Right. Is that your decision or is that a decision that the government makes on your behalf? Right. There, there isn't a place in the Old Testament where we see, I don't think, I could be wrong, uh, you, you never say never. Right. The principle doesn't seem to be that the the people establish, you know, here's here's what you're going to do and how much of it you're going to do. You're gonna it's going to be the, the the outside two feet of your field if you have a hundred acres. Right. Um, if if you have a thousand acres, it's the outside ten feet of your field. It's like the point is, make way. You have enough. You now share what you've got with those in your community who are willing to work. And are willing to, you're not going to hand this to them, but you're going to, you're going to make a way for them to get their feet back under them. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, I think you see Paul when he's giving instruction to the Corinthian church about giving to the relief of the saints right. in, in, in Jerusalem. It's acceptable to the Lord to give according to what you have, not merely just out of what you have. So yeah. there's this sense of, of now the law of Christ being love. Mm-hmm. Now, the application of that looks like if your heart's in the right place, you give according to what you have, according to your means, not merely just out of. And then Jesus gave us the parable of the widow Mm. who put her last penny in. And Jesus said she gave more than all those people putting in a whole bunch. And so there's that here. You love me. You love your neighbors yourself. And you're making provision according to what you have. Mm -hmm. And the Lord goes, yes. Yep. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think that's a good. Frankly, I think that is applied wisdom to the whole counsel of Scripture on a complex issue. Right. Is, and I, it com- is it complex? Yes. Does it go deeper than that? Yes. But that's the place you have to start. And when it comes to something like taxes, I'm not even 
I personally am not a person who feels like a, a, a believer should give 10%. I believe that believers, most believers should give yeah. way more than 10%. I believe right. that the 10% thing is an Old Testament, right. is an Old Testament teaching. I think if you do the math, those guys gave up closer to thirty percent. They really did ten percent of everything. Yeah, so they they were given even way more than that. So if we want to go, oh, we're going to go Old Testament, then it's going to be more like thirty percent. Watch out! Don't say it. people be like, oh, I can't go. To oh shoot! Yeah, <laughs> but I think you know, I think we have I have a responsibility as a believer to take what God has given me, every bit of it's His, right? To take a portion of it to live on, to to use as a resource for me to do the things that He's called me to do, kingdom wise, right? Which includes hobbies and things that are going to, you know, give me back energy and life and that kind of thing. Right. But it's it's not ten percent. Mm-hmm. And if the the point is, if if people chose to give to the community, that the government wouldn't have to ask us right. to give taxes. And part of the problem that I believe as right. a as a, and I'm I, you know I, I'm going to sort of expose my hand here when it comes to politics. But I think that the reason the government has to do that is because the church yes. has been unfaithful to do the thing that God gave the church to do. That's right. And and we have at every chance we've had right. as a church and as a people right. have said, well, if the government will take care of it, let's let them do yeah, it. Yeah, let them do it, right. Where we have no assurity whatsoever. Right. That the government is going to make wise, uh, biblical worldview choices on our behalf. That's right. We can't give that responsibility to an organization right. that that admittedly is as secular as it comes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I firmly agree. I, I think some of the problems we're seeing is the fact that we have marginalized ourselves as the people, the, mm-hmm. the outpost of the kingdom of God. And and then even succumb to the idea, why well, pay taxes? You should do it. And and because I see that in the position I've served for our city and county for fifteen years, and no longer legally allowed to is in the Division of Family and Children Services. I can't be on that board or be the chairman of that board anymore. We constantly struggle and still struggle, and even in our work at Restoration Rome, to get Christians to say, this is my responsibility mm-hmm. to care for these kids. It's James one twenty seven. Mm-hmm. This is. This is not optional. This is actually commanded. Yeah. But yet the the sometimes the mentality is well, I pay my taxes, the state and county and federal agencies need to handle it. And I'm going to, those two can't coexist. Yeah. You cannot you cannot say that when this is clearly written. So we've we've handed off what is ours to a government agency. Mm-hmm. When in fact it's ours, and 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 the reason we can't is because we have too much money tied up in doing ministry, and ministry equals a service, paying staff, mm-hmm. yeah. maintaining a building, rather than engaging my city in the public square, and as we say, releasing our members to domains of society to go and be agents of healing. Right. See, now I'm preaching, yeah. now I'm complaining, <laughs> but th- but that's right. what preaching does, man. That's the point. The point is the pulpit can't be the place where you don't talk about these things. Yeah. That's what frustrates me a little bit, and some yeah. of the. Some of the guys that are out there that I respect enormously right. that have ministries in places that are so politically charged. Right. I mean, they're they're they've got a congregation full of people on both sides of the aisle. Right. And what they say is just gonna is gonna have massive implications. But the point is, you can't not say it. Yeah. We we don't have the option to go. Man, I'm just not going to go there. That that's for that's for the people in this congregation who are. 
in you know DC and they're in the state house, they're in these places. I'm gonna let them deal with it, but we're not gonna we're gonna sort of hit the sur- the edges of it. Now, I I just can't. Right. I don't believe that's the right thing to do. Right. I believe you have to state where you are, even if it's a second tier, third tier issue. Yeah, you present it based as you based. If if a pastor only talked about the things that were just cut and dry, right? No, no room for argument, right? Well, you'd speak for five minutes every Sunday, like that, right? We all know that we have to deal with issues that are there's some Christian, um, there's there's some room for yeah. disagreement yeah. on it, and you still preach about it, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you still preach about baptism, right? Absolutely. Even we have people in our fellowship who are infant baptized, right? Right, but we don't go. What? God. Yeah, and I know that's debatable among people. Like, Absolutely, I don't, I don't think you should do that. Yeah. Well, I got a reason. We have reasons. Right. Why we choose to do right. that. Right. Well, it, it's this idea of a jagged line issue versus straight line mm-hmm. issue. There are some things where the line is kind of not straight, and, yeah. and we have to make decisions because I think of applied wisdom on unity. There is a sense in which the unity of the people of God on mission together is more important. Uh, than than not addressing it. So we can yeah. say unity, right? We're going to let each other have some room here on license on some of these unclear issues. They're less clear. Yeah. But we're going to stay on mission and do this together. Uh, so we have to fight for that. Mm-hmm. But by being clear. And then by being clear, though, we can practice love. I mean, loving people. I mean, Jesus said, if you love those who love you, even Gentiles do that. Mm-hmm. But love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. And I don't think he meant we're supposed to be persecuting each other nor be enemies, but that right. means we can disagree, still be together on mission, and allow charity to go forward on mission together. Yeah. That allows us to be powerful right? and get some stuff done. Yeah, sure. Well, we, if you're looking at, if we did what I said, if, we, if you and I had on the board here where we're sitting in this, this whiteboards to... To sort of to our side, right. and we listed okay. Here's the Democratic uh, platform. Here's the Republican platform, and we listed out all the issues. The issues that we're going to find on there are things like we're going to find things like gender policy. Yeah, uh, we're going to find things like marriage policy. Yeah, uh, we're going to find things about uh, you know abortion, essentially pro-life, pro-choice. Mm-hmm. We're going to find issues related to health care, pre-existing conditions, foreign policy, taxes. Uh, gun control, religious freedom, which is going to affect all sorts of different things. Right. Right now, we're talking about Supreme Court nominations because right. one president just nominated three lifetime appointments right. to the Supreme Court. Uh, massive implications right. when it comes to that. Issues, I don't know if I said immigration, issues associated with immigration. Um, so I think for me, I, I wouldn't be able to live with myself having this conversation without saying which of those issues are non-negotiables. Right. As a Christian, as well as an evangelical Protestant Christian. Right. Which of those issues, there's really not much debate out there. No, like if we, if we got the pastors in the community together and said, okay, right. what does the Bible say about this? Where are we going to get a unanimous yes or, right. or no? Right. You answer. What do you think those are? Yeah, I would say you're going to have to go gender, marriage. I think all issues of life. Yeah. Uh, I, those for me, those for me are massive. Like mm-hmm. I, I, um, even in in a town hall where uh, Vice President Biden was asked about uh, gender reallocation, I think that was a nature. Yeah. And I was just—I t- mean, just to be frank, I was totally disturbed at his response. Yeah, eight, as, eight, eight, and ten-year-olds. Yeah, because I, as a Christian, I'm going. 
Man, it's, God, I can't. Sometimes I feel like, Keith, I want to say things, but I have to put a filter on my mouth. Um, <laughs> just the biology does not. You have to acknowledge sin. You have mm-hmm. to acknowledge the curse. You have to acknowledge that uh, because of sin, God said the day you eat of it, you will die. Yeah. They didn't physically die, but everything around them broke. It died. Mm-hmm. Uh, meaning their kids were going to murder one another and bad things are going to go crooked. That's why God said, don't do this, because the implications are just devastating. And so that comes understanding that gender and sexuality are going to come confused in all manner of things. Chaos. Chaos. Mm -hmm. God said that would be the case. Mm -hmm. Now, he's going to come and fix it. He's going to begin to set things right. But in the meantime, we have to be clear that are there issues there? Yes. Can they be dealt with redemptively? You bet yes. they can. Yeah. You bet they can. And should we dive into the mess of that? Absolutely, we have to. But to just say reallocation surgeries for eight, nine, ten-year-olds just flies in the face of what I understand the image of God created male and female is. Right. And, and I, I, I can never and will never go there. For me, that is a non-negotiable issue. Uh, and, and it's worth, it's a hill to die on for me. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think you, you've hit all the ones that I would say are non-negotiable, uh, marriage, gender, um, the pro-life stance. And then, you know, the, the Supreme Court is a biggie. It, it's not any one issue, but it's going to have an impact on all those issues right. because um, the sort of the way our country works nowadays, right. it, the, a lot of those decisions end up there. And once they're made, I mean, they're made for a long time, usually. Right. Well, when we have the confusion, I think, in our, I think we need some civics lessons in understanding what the court exists to do. The court mm-hmm. does not exist to legislate. Yeah. Right. That, that, the legislature, the, the legislative branch of our government exists to legislate. But, but you have to now begin to deal with as a Christian, if this is my constitution, right, if this is what we've been given to yeah. politically govern ourselves, um, then, then we have to we have to work that. Yeah. Meaning how we who we put in that legal position needs to have some manner of connection to that document. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, understanding their role. Yeah. And their role is is not to legislate. Yes. And I think that, that that's a clear I think that's a clear distinction. Mm-hmm. And and who's coming at the table with our two parties currently is I think one sees the law as a place to or or the enforcement of the law as a place to legislate. Mm-hmm. And that to me is dangerous. Yeah. Well it's it's interesting just from a Christian having this conversation because really when we're talking about the Supreme Court and the the issues that you're describing, we're talking about how a text is going to be read. <laughs> right? Right. I'm I, I read the Bible as a textualist. Yeah. I read the Bible as an originalist. Right. I read the Bible because I believe that by the Holy Spirit's design, the Bible's written in a certain way yep. so that the words stand for all of human history. And when we read things that feel out of step with life, it's a cue to us that life has gone astray, not the text. Yes. So that's the way it's supposed to be read in my mind. Yeah. And that's what that's what um, you know. That's what the Republican, the last three Republican nominees, and and um, Justice Scalia would sort of say out really out loud is. We have to read this text the way it was written back in the 1700s because the wisdom in it stands for all of time. Right. And when when you find that it's that those guys didn't have wisdom in certain areas, there's a means by which that document can be amended. That's right. And if it's so egregious, it will be amended. Right. 
And there'll be enough consensus in the country that we're, where we go, man, those guys were sharp. They were brilliant. Right. But they got that wrong. Yeah. And we're about to fix it. Right. Well, that so requires civility, the ability to have this discussion. Right. And try to convince one another. Try to see the logic, which seems to be missing in our ability to even have that discussion. Yeah. So when you see something egregious happening in the country. Right. You, it, it comes before the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court look at the, the text of the document and go, it's not addressed in here. Right. But we're going to send it back to you guys, and let's get legislation together that fixes it. Right. We can take care of it, and let's amend the Constitution. That's right. Um, to me, that's the, it's just the clearest way to deal with it. Right. Well, it's a clear, it's a clear way to avoid chaos and war. To provide peace yeah. and for everybody's voice to be heard. That's why we have a House of Representatives and a mm-hmm. Congress, right? Or the Congress, House of, Rep- House of Representatives and the Senate yeah. together is so that you have population represented. You have state. I mean, it, it's there to provide peace mm-hmm. and for everybody to have some air voice. Is it broke? Man, it's broke. Sure. But 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 it it still works if we will engage and have civil discussions yeah. and as Christians particularly engage the process and engage yeah. it well. And it, I don't know how, how much time we've got left, Mitch, but I, I know that it's very, very important for me to say that a lot of folks go, well, it's clear to me that, that, that Keith's a Republican. I would never say that about myself. Right. I just wouldn't. Right. I don't, I, it, it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, to me, political discussions are discussions about, certain policies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's also not a conversation for me about an individual. Right. Um, but the, the truth is, if it was about an individual, I would never be able to vote. <laughs> because they're all... I just couldn't, all, in good conscience, vote right. for anyone. They're all... Most of them that we've had put in front of us for years are all incredibly yeah, I mean, flawed people. It's not true that I couldn't vote for anyone, but the, the people that I know that I could vote for aren't on... It's, a, it's, a, right. it's ridiculous. Right. It's just not going to get anything done. Right. So I've got to, I've got to vote for a series of ideas and, and, a, and a sort of a... A platform really is a good way to put it. I've got to vote for a platform. And my, my primary goal is which platform is going to lead to the advancement, gives a, give us a better shot at the advancement of the gospel, right. period. It's not about my personal advancement. Like, I am concerned about, as a business person, how these policies are going to affect my ability to, to do our business because I, I'm interested in business for the sake of the kingdom, right. right? So I am interested in that. But if the moment that the bigger ticket issues, the, the moment I feel like I've got a two different votes, one is the bigger ticket issues versus my personal issues. I've right. got to vote for the bigger t- big, bigger ticket issues, right? Because I don't in in a fallen world you don't get to have both, right? Right. And in this account, in, in this political environment that right. we're in right now, right? I don't get to have my cake and eat it too, right? I'm going to have to compromise in some areas, right? And some people would probably look at me and go, "Well, Thompson, it's easy for you. You don't really have to compromise anywhere." Because this stuff that matters to me doesn't doesn't really affect you, right? Ah, right. I, that's where it gets really hairy, right? Right. Really hairy. <laughs> I, I feel like we're constantly having to compromise. Yeah. Like we're we're in my house, continuing to have debates on what are we going to do. There's yeah. one that's clear we're not going to do. But but then it's where's conscience here? Yeah. Our conscience is leaning in one direction, but. The practice, the the means mm-hmm. of providing these things is here, 
and and it's a true. I mean, internally, we're 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 in a funky place. We're going. We we're Christians, and and the name of the Lord counts, and what I say and do matters mm-hmm. because because it's not my reputation; it's Christ's reputation because of who we are, what we yeah. say, we're about, and it's it, it's sticky. It's it, how do we how do we take policies that we believe are going to be more flourishing mm-hmm. and and guarding of what matters, and yeah, it, it does. It it gets massively sticky and uh and what are these things and it's not so much a person as much as it is a platform and and that's kind of where you have to get stuck at least for us yeah we're kind of stuck so here's here's the question you're you're a pastor i'm not a pastor um at our church i'm just a a member of our congregation and you know feel god's called me to the to the um to the marketplace but as a pastor why do pastors not just go out there and go okay this is what I believe the Bible says about the tax issue or the immigration issue or the um, you know, economic policy or gender or marriage or life. Like what's the like I know I've listened to Mark Dever quite a bit. I yeah. enormously I'm a huge, huge um, yeah. fan of Dever and, and Jonathan Lehman, the guy that that he's they've been sort of been in in harness together for a long time dealing with issues. They're right there in the middle of D.C. and. Dever has to deal with issues. I, I can't even imagine. You know, right. he's got senators and you know representatives in his in his congregation. Yeah. To me, he's way too unwilling to deal with some of these issues head on. Like for the sake of, I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, I, he won't say how he feels about certain things. Right. Um, and I know he's he's really answered that. But what is his answer to that? And how do you feel right. about it? My answer to that would be the same as his. I don't want to misrepresent Dr. Dever. Sure. I had the privilege of having him and some church history stuff way back uh, in a term. And so I have a great deal of respect. We're a nine marks church because mm-hmm. of Dr. Yep. Dever. Going, had, right now, going through a series of nine marks of a healthy church. That's exactly right. You go to ninemarks.org and you can find our church on their website. Mm-hmm. So um, even when they were audio cassettes, man, this is this tells you how long <laughs> ago it was. We have audio cassettes, man. What in the world is an audio cassette? And so I learned. So I really cut my teeth uh, with Dr. Dever. And so here's what I would say: um, there are clear issues in regard to the church as the outpost of the kingdom of God that are more important than healthcare. They're more important than guns. They're more important than foreign policy. Uh, and one of those is the unity of the church. Mm-hmm. Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer that we would be one as he and the Father are one. Now, inside that one, there are people who can make an argument, I think, as robustly as you and I can from one position uh, for perhaps voting for somebody we probably wouldn't cast a vote for and give you good biblical reasons why they would do it. And that has always tripped me up a little bit mm. because I hear it and I understand it, but then I ask the question, but what about these things that we say are clear like gender and marriage mm-hmm. and, and life? And and there's no disagreement from them. They're like, yes, I vote for those things. But for someone in my position, that is a luxury when I can't even possibly stay here. Yeah. And I'm going, holy cow. Okay, I hear, I hear that. Mm. I don't fully understand it, but I hear it. And so it has caused me to back up and sink my teeth into the things that are clear biblically that I will not run from. And if you don't want to be part of our church, if anybody comes and says, (laughs) well, you care for life, 
you're for life from grave or from the womb to the tomb. I'm out. I'm like, well, bye. Yeah. <laughs> if you're for marriage being redefined, I'm going, well, that's not going to work here. You're going to have to find a new place to go to church. But you want to talk about taxes? Uh, I, I find what they call jagged line issue. Yeah. Okay, you can you can be here and still be members of this church. There are actually fellowships that have discussions on exercising church discipline for people who vote Democrat. Yeah. That's actually happening. Yeah. And 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 so for me, I see one of the issues that we didn't talk about, but I see church unity as more important than any of those. Mm. That's an issue I, I would fight for. And so rather than isolate somebody because I'm going to be a different side on guns than they are. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm on a different place than they are. I, I carry. Uh, and they're going, I just don't understand how a pastor could carry yeah. a gun. I mean, would you take a person's life? And and I, I'm not willing to trip their faith up right. over that issue. Uh, and so I'm, I'm more willing to back up and go, you have a conscience. I'm going to exercise mm-hmm. a conscience there and, and we can work together. Right. And so that's kind of the logic behind why not just going in hard on some issues, yeah. but going in hard on others. So this is a question that's been asked a bunch of times in relation to this issue. I think right. I've heard it. You've probably heard it too. The question is, could it get to a place where you would ever say, okay, if you vote for this party, right. you can no longer be in fellowship with us. For example, the example is always um, right. Nazism right. in Germany. Yeah. When, when um, I'm losing even the name of the party, the, the Nazi party. It was Lutheran, the Lutheran Church so, in Germany. Yeah. So those guys, the party begins to rise. It's yes. not clear exactly what all they believe and what right. Hitler's going to end up sort of proposing to the people. And so you're like, okay, well, yeah, maybe it seems to be for the people, seems to be for Germany. Right. Yeah, seems to make he's making lots of promises, that kind of thing. But eventually it gets to the point where it's like, okay. Right. No, this guy, this guy, you could you can't be a Christian and be a Nazi. Absolutely. Um at what point do like how I don't I don't even want to ask you, I don't want to I don't want to put you in a no. bad position. I, no. I don't know when you consider because there were things in the Nazi party, if you could completely get rid of the way they felt about, you know, Jews and, and other ethnicities. Right. There were things you could you go, well, this is positive. Yeah. Right? Sure. Well, their but, national identity was very important on the rise of, of the Nazi party in the in the early thirties. There was a right. sense of regaining because because of the Treaty of Versailles. Yeah, considering what happened in World War One oh and the gosh. way it all fell out. I mean we we are the we are the dregs of society. Mm-hmm. And we need to regain our economic standing, our foot in the world, and have some sense of identity. We we got in this conflict, we've lost it, now we've lost who we are, and so mm-hmm. there was a sense of pride growing, and yeah. and, and, and a, clearly, in a good way. I mean, yeah. in, in a thing that not 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 even there's a sense in which a country can feel that way and right. not be in sin. Now, anything right. taken to an extreme is a problem, and that's yeah. what happened with right. them. Right. Well, at what point? Um, I know people. There are people that I respect really respect and have and are not um, you know they're, they're not even would be on one end of the spectrum as far right. as extreme goes inside of the evangelical christianity they've gotten there yeah. they've said you i don't know how you could in good faith vote democrat at this point right. um at what point like what would have to happen or is right. that's that's a very uh, no i, I, like I where, what, what where are you along those yeah, those lines i think uh, i think 
the study of the life of Bonhoeffer in the Confessing Church is a blueprint mm. for how Christians should really engage. Um, and, and I think you have to do a better job of reading. I, I never, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but Eric Metaxas, mm-hmm. I think that's how that's you pronounce right. his name. His biography on Bonhoeffer, I think, is woefully inadequate. And I know I've just mm. made a lot of people mad <laughs> because they think he's he's the god of biographies. Uh-huh. He painted Bonhoeffer like he was an evangelical. And he's just not. Right. Uh, you have to go do some more work on Bonhoeffer to really get to the heart of Bonhoeffer. And I like that Bonhoeffer better than I like the one he paints, frankly, because yeah. he's complicated. Uh, I mean, here's a guy who participated in, in Valkyrie. Mm-hmm. Like he was he was a participant in that attempt. The, the uh, uh, what uh, Top Gun? What's that? what's his name? Tom Cruise. Oh, yeah, yeah. The movie Valkyrie that he he plays. That's a true story. Mm. Bonhoeffer was an agent in that attempt to take Hitler's life. Here's a Christian yeah. theologian, right? So here's this man who had to wrestle with taking life. And had to wrestle with his role in subverting a government that had co-opted, because he was a Lutheran, Mm. who had co-opted his expression of the kingdom of God. And and however all that happened, there's a great book uh, called Hitler's Cross by Erwin Lutzer. That's Mm. a a phenomenal read. I think it it should be, if you want to kind of really study Hitler's co-opting of of that, it's it's a great read. But... Bonhoeffer had to wrestle through the Bible and and find these nuanced places to justify his role in the in the Abwehr, which is the 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 this service of undercover agents who were trying to depose Hitler. Mm. And he was an agent yeah. and a pastor and a theologian of this new church called the Confessing Church. And so he had to he had to go to these these midwives, these Egyptian midwives who lied to Pharaoh. I mean, they they told lies. They did not tell the yep. truth, and God blessed their households for mm-hmm. doing it. Rahab, who lied about yep. the spies, and God <laughs> blessed her. And yeah. so he he found comfort in there was a place, this nuanced place, to fudge on facts. That's the best I can come up with <laughs> in order to participate in the deposing of evil. Now, I know that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. But for me, that's my place. If I'm ever put in a position where my only option is evil, my only option is evil, I have to fight back yeah. and I'm willing to fight back. Yeah. And I think Bonhoeffer is the example, which mm-hmm. is why I think you can't go the Metaxas route. You have to go in a little more real look at who he was mm-hmm. as a person because it's highly uncomfortable because his theology is not ours. Uh, he would not land on the same place we do in a lot of things. But his practice of what he did know, I think, is impeccable. Yeah, and so that's kind of where I am. There's a place to some, there's a place to fight. Yeah, uh, and I think Bonhoeffer figured that out well. Sure. And he didn't just enter it simply. Right. It was a it was a long, hard process for him. And frankly, I think him coming to the states and in New York, his time there with the African American Church is where his theology shifted in a more evangelical direction mm-hmm. when he learned from people oppressed how to live life oppressed and know the Lord, he took that back and that was really a shift for him mm. where he really began to be part of, okay, we have a chance to do something different here. Yeah. And and so I, I, that for me would be my turning point. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's good because that really, to me, that's the sort of the essence of the conversation. It's like what, because we don't get to, unfortunately on the ballot, I don't get to vote. There, I don't get, there's not line item Issues when it comes to guns, taxes, healthcare, gender, marriage, life, foreign policy, right? All that stuff. I don't right. get to vote on them policy by policy, right? 
I've got to I've got to cast a vote that's going to push one way or the other. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And um, that's where it gets that's where it gets really really weird. And I don't I feel like when I when I go to vote, I'm at the top of a hill and I'm going to push a, bo- a boulder over the edge. Yeah, that's right. I don't get the option to push neither one. Yeah. Because there's really two boulders. Right. And I'm I by pushing the pushing I can push a pebble off that is co- going to be completely inconsequential. It's going to push one or the other over. Right. If I'm not voting for one, I'm voting for the other, essentially. Right. right. And I don't think, just from a a realistic and an ethical standpoint, that's what's happening there. Right. If I don't go and vote, I don't believe that's a good option. Yeah. Um, I've got to go help push one of those boulders over the edge. And one of them is going to create more flourishing yeah. and, and order than the other one, which is going to create more destruction and chaos. Right. And, and I think where we find ourselves, we're still in a place where we can pick a boulder. Yeah. I don't think we're too many years down the line of discovering both boulders need to be blown up. Right. Yeah. And and, and I don't know how many years that is, yeah. but, but you kind of find yourself, I, I feel like we're on this evolution in the wrong direction in yeah. two extremes mm-hmm. uh, that, that are going to put us in a position of having to make those hard decisions. I don't know how far in the future that is and pray that we never have to get there but you certainly see the momentum of um pushing away from the center and finding good for the city into complete and radically opposed ideas and that makes me nervous for our future and what our kids may inherit Mm -hmm. and the decisions they may have to make right well and that's why it's important to vote that's why it's important to get out there and do it i mean because there is there is a there is a sense that we mentioned it earlier where it's like, look, why are you guys so worked up about this? The Lord's in control. Yeah. Well, that's completely and utterly true. There's no part of me right. that, at least that I'm aware of, right. that disagrees with that. Yeah. I know that the Lord's in control. Now, I'm not going to not go vote. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter because God's sovereign. No, mm-hmm. we're not going to get into that conversation. I've got a responsibility. And there's there's joy in participating in the work that God's doing in the world. Absolutely. I believe that when we push the kingdom forward, yeah. we're participating with the Lord and what he's right. got going on. That's right. Well, we've lived the sheltered. We've lived the sheltered existence for most of our generations. And, and if we do a good search of Christian history, we're going to find that from Acts 2 and Pentecost until today, there have been times in church history and political history where Christians have had to make hard decisions that have led to a lot of blood being mm-hmm. shed yeah. because they the line in the sand was drawn. They finally moved from jagged line to a straight line, and they found themselves opposed. Whether it be in England, like the Oliver Cromwells and, mm. and you know the 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 just the, the John Owens, yeah. right, or even just theologically, your your William Tyndalls. You know, I have an English Bible today because he was willing to be burned at the yeah. stake for translating the, the scriptures into into English, right? Um, and so there's been a place, there have been places where Christians have had to say, nobody represents me, and the line in the sand has been drawn, and I'm willing to stand here. Yeah. And having done all to stand, mm-hmm. we've not ever had to make those decisions, right. frankly. We still right now have some jagged lines we can navigate mm-hmm. and, and push one of those boulders off. Um, and, and the prospect of that not being the case really really makes a lot of Christians nervous yeah. because it's, it, it doesn't fit the maybe the prosperity framework we've been sold a bill of goods mm-hmm. on, and, and that's unfortunate. Yeah, and you've pointed out people are listening to this podcast all over the world. Yeah. Some of those folks who are listening to this 
are not in that place. They're That's in right. a very different place than where we have been for our whole lives. They've had to draw the line in yep. the sand. And, and, and I know some personally uh, who have not yet had to pay that price, but their friends have. Yeah. And, and that's sobering to me. Yeah. But they were willing. Sure. And are we willing? Then the, and so for me, that's what's at stake here. Yeah. Like, is America going to become that place? Right. Maybe. It may become that place in spite of my vote. But I'm sitting here on this side of it saying, I don't want to get there. Like, I, I don't want my grandchildren to yeah. live in that world. Yeah. I don't think it's best for the kingdom worldwide. to yeah. live. Surely the Lord's not for... Um, you know, in, in his goodness is just yeah. wants America to go toward chaos. Right. Now, he may for his own ends, but the God is for our good. Absolutely. And um, I, we have the responsibility to vote so that we don't get there. Right. Not there is there, there is sometimes in some conversations, it's almost like there's this um, uh, there's this value in the world moving to a place where we're going to be persecuted. Well, no, it's no. There's not. I mean, there, right. there's value in freedom to right. do what God's called us to do. That's right. the most valuable place. Right? Sure. Yeah. We're, nobody's hoping for a place where my religious liberty is completely crushed. Yeah, I'm, I'm not praying for God to to pers- have me persecuted. I don't. I do not. Want no, that, I, right? I do not want to be persecuted. Right. I'll. I'll, I'll right. Hopefully, I'll stand up under it. Right. If it happens, but I'm not longing for that. But there have been times where. They didn't ask for it or want it, but God brought it for their good That's and right. for the spread of the gospel. That's right. The church was scattered at the stoning of Stephen. And then and you follow some church history, and you see there are these seasons. Great article by Ralph Winter, um, The Kingdom Strikes Back, yeah. 10 epochs of, you know, you've, we've done perspectives, uh-huh. right? So God has used persecution to scatter a complacent church. Do I want that? Heck no. Might he bring that upon sure. us to bring us into effect and scatter us into effective engagement? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I would hope, uh, this sounds terrible, but beat him to the punch by being obedient before yeah. he makes me be obedient. Yeah, well, I pray yeah. that for myself. It's yeah. like, Lord, if you want to, if, if persecution is what I need yeah. to know you better and understand you better, so be it. But God, please, in your mercy and grace, be gentle. Be gentle. Yeah. That's be a, kind. That's a good prayer. I yeah. Think. Oh, it's a good prayer. Absolutely. That's my prayer for our country. And the conversations we're having, the implications are right. maybe we can do something about that. Maybe we can have a hand in that. Right. Um, in light of religious liberty. Um, yeah. And and other things that are that are just really important. Absolutely. So we'll close with we'll close with this. Um Applied wisdom for us, uh, I think a, a a good discipline on the part of Christians is to have a good grasp on the book of mm-hmm. Proverbs, mm-hmm. Uh, where we are forced to take biblical principle and apply it in the manifold ways that is possible when life gets shoved at us. Mm-hmm. And that's what you'll find in Proverbs. And Proverbs is sometimes hard to read because we want to read them as though they are objectives, they're objective truths. Yeah. And they're not objective truths, they're general applications mm-hmm. of the objective truth of the law. Right. So what you have is the law that's the truth of God. And Proverbs is the ways in which those laws can and may be applied in certain circumstances. Mm-hmm. And if we can grasp that, that, that helps us to live in a manner... Uh, that's pleasing to the Lord, good for us and good for the world mm-hmm. around us. And yeah. so applied wisdom is something I want to strive for. And so maybe that's where we need to go.
Man, that's good. Well said. I have nothing to add to that one. Good deal. Well, Keith, it's been fun. And uh, guys, thank you you all for listening. We're thankful and grateful for you. We're over 1,100 downloads, and that's not too bad. Mm. And so we're plugging forward. And so thanks for listening. Please share the podcast if you want to and uh, bring some more people on board. You guys have a great one. See you. Hey, thank you for listening to Theology in the Dirt. You can email us at theologyinthedirt at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you with some feedback and perhaps some questions that you'd like us to tackle. We'll see you next week. And until then, deuces.